people of God, before we turn to the portion of Scripture that we will be viewing this evening, proclaiming, our Book of Church Order says about ordination and installation, the day having arrived and the session being convened in the presence of the congregation. A sermon shall be preached, after which the presiding minister shall state in a concise manner, which I actually will do in the sermon itself, the warrant and nature of the office, in this case of deacon, together with the character proper to be sustained and the duties to be fulfilled. And then the candidates, the candidate in the presence of the congregation will take his ordination vows. And so I think it is appropriate that I ask the uh, elders of our church to stand for a moment so that you may see that the session is convened in the presence of the congregation. Please be seated. Now, if you will, turn with me to the book of Acts. Chapter 6. The first seven verses. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, it is good and right that we pray a prayer of illumination before coming to the Word of God, for apart from the Spirit of the Lord, how can we understand it? How can we apply it? How can we submit to its authority? It is good for us to acknowledge that apart from the Holy Spirit, we could not be saved, but also good to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit, who is the gift to us, who indwells us, a gift of the Father poured out by Christ on Pentecost upon the church, is the spirit of sanctification and holiness, who grows us in grace and helps us to make progress as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are thankful that churches mature just as individual Christians do, and we are so thankful that this evening we are privileged to ordain Jim Allen as a deacon of this congregation. Uh, May our hearts be over-flooded with thanksgiving for the good things that our God, our Heavenly Father, to whom we pray, is doing for us as a church, but also as individual members of this church and for the good things that have been done in the heart and are being done in Jimmy's heart and his family. We ask that, again, the Holy Spirit will now help us to take this text and to understand it and to apply it to the life of the church and to our own lives, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Will you take your copy of God's Word and stand? Acts chapter 6, the first seven verses. This is the Word of God. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
These they set before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God, it was such a privilege recently when we ordained Caleb and Philip to the office of ruling elder, and we looked at 1 Peter chapter 5 regarding the shepherding of the flock of God. And I was glad to hear an elder say that the sermon was deeply convicted, convicting to him and that it prompted him to pray even more faithfully for the flock. This already faithful elder, I assume, applying the text in various ways to his own service among God's people here. Well, remember that we saw that even in times of persecution for Peter, 1 Peter is set in a time of persecution or potential persecution, or especially in times of trouble, the government of the church is not dispensable. He didn't say, well, because we're having all of this uh, persecution or because things are difficult for us, we're just going to set aside the issue of church government for a later date. No, no, not at all. It was not dispensable, but all the more important for the flock of God. Well, this is true of our deacons as well as our elders. These men are gifts of the ascended Christ to our church. And every office is held supremely by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, elder, our Lord is the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep. He is, he is the one who holds the office of elder in uh, the, the, the superlative way only which he can. And deacon, our Lord is the great servant that came to serve and not be served, to give his life a ransom for many. So the deacon shows to us when he serves faithfully something of the heart of the Savior who died for us and shed his blood for us. You should be able to look at your deacon and say, well, he's not Jesus, of course, and he's not perfect, of course, but in his humble service to, to his shepherding group or to his flock, he really does resemble Jesus, and it makes me want to be like him. Uh, right, deacon, who is here this evening, and Jimmy, who will soon be ordained as a deacon? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that the desire of your heart? Uh, elder, the elder wants to be seen uh, as, as exemplifying the characteristics of the good shepherd. The deacon wants to be seen as exemplifying the attitude of service that the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry displayed and continues to display remarkably and wonderfully to us, his people. So the text does not specifically here use the term deacon. However, in verse 1, the noun diakonia is used, and in verse 2, the verb diakoneo is used. Now, this is no proof, of course, that this is the beginning of the office of deacon, but also there's the laying on of hands and the purpose for which they are chosen. So I would say that at minimum, this is a stage in recognizing the division of labor in the church that leads to a diaconate. Various needs such as that which led to the meeting of this need in this particular way did not go away over time and certainly continue even to this day. And so the need for a diaconate, a serving body of men within the church is clear. And for myself, I see this as the beginning of that office. 
So as we look at this text, I think it's appropriate for, to ask, for us to ask the question, what is a deacon, uh, as we move our way through this passage. The role of the deacon is indispensable to a well-ordered church. And this text is essential, I think, to understanding the meaning of what a deacon is. So the text helps us to answer the question also, what is the primary call of the church? What is her priority? And how does the role of deacon relate to this priority? So let's begin there, may we? The first thing is the priority of the church. Now, as we come to this passage, we see that there was a very sensitive problem that was developing. The numbers were increasing as people came to faith in Jesus, and there was tension between two parties. Uh, the, uh, The widows who spoke probably Aramaic or possibly Hebrew, and those widows who spoke primarily uh, Greek or who were from uh, outside of Palestine. It seems that the widows of alien birth were suffering in the distribution of the daily uh, food allotment. So a division was on the horizon. Now that's very, very important to note that these men are chosen because they are dealing not only with the problem of some neglected widows, which is essential, but also because there was a division that was disturbing or potentially disturbing the church. So let me say in advance of our study of this passage that deacons, when they are faithful, can be the the best promoters of unity in the church. And the opposite can also be the case. So what about here in Acts chapter 6? What the apostles did not do, I think, is very instructive to us. They could have said, well, this is a very great problem, and let's take care of it immediately, and let's do it ourselves. Well, they did not, they did not do that. They did not say, let's, let's set aside the ministry of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word and prayer and take care of this problem ourselves. What would have happened to the preaching of the Word and the constant prayer life of the apostles, ministers of the Word, if they had done so? You see, each office in the church has its own calling. The elder is not a deacon, nor is the deacon an elder. The minister of the word also has his distinct gifts and calling, and he must use them. So each must function in that calling with his set of gifts uh, for the church to really prosper. The minister needs to do his work of praying, studying the scriptures, and preaching as his primary duty and responsibility. The elder must take upon himself the primary responsibility of shepherding the flock of God purchased with his own blood uh, in that more intimate way that happens through daily contact. And the deacon must help promote the purity and peace of the church by helping in innumerable ways those who are in need, but also promoting the peace of the church that otherwise would be disturbed if those needs were not met. Each must function in his calling for the church to prosper. So what did the apostles do? Well, note in essence that they said, we're finite and we have a distinct calling from God and we cannot fulfill that calling if we don't stick to it, stay with it, And so we need to keep to that definite call. So let's be instructed by what the apostles did not do. 
Now, before we go on to look at the office itself and the ordination and so forth, let's also take note of the fact that we, I think as we read the book of Acts, we can see here a clear device of Satan. You see, Satan, if you're reading the book of Acts earlier, Satan has tried various approaches to destroy the church and to curtail the witness of the risen Lord through the church. Uh, persecution had been the first approach, and persecution had failed. And so the evil one attempted corruption, and that, of course, is in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira, that also failed. And so the next approach is, let's distract the preachers of the word from preaching and prayer, and let's stir up a division in the church because there is uh, a neglect of some that perhaps had gone unnoticed. Let's distract them with a legitimate need, something that truly needs addressing, and pull the preachers away from their calling and disturb the church. So we see here the priority of the church, don't we? When we read, for example, in verses 2 and 4, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. And in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Those called to the ministry of the word and prayer must be thoroughly committed to it and must not allow themselves to be distracted from it. The apostles would not be distracted from their main task, even to feed hungry widows. Now, that was not pride on the part of the apostles. It was submission to the Lord who had ordained that they serve in this particular way. It was not pride. It was really humility by saying there are others who have gifts that we do not have and a call that we do not have who can handle this problem better than we can. So forsaking their gifts and calling would have been prideful. The Lord has given other gifts to other people and they need to use them. The emphasis, of course, found in the apostolate is what, is, is what really the, the, the pastoral epistles is all about. The pastoral epistles in large measure is about the call of the minister to do this very thing that the apostles were doing according to Acts chapter 6, praying and preaching, ministering the word to people. And so later on your own, if you took 1 Timothy chapter 4, 13 and following, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, Uh, actually going back into chapter 3 and through most of chapter 4, you will see that that Timothy is to continue that work of ministry of the Word in the church. And then other pastors throughout the centuries that would be ordained who would be called to that ministry. So the primary task of the church is the proclamation of the Word bathed in prayer. Nothing must hinder that from going forward. And by the way, a great study for you sometime would be to go through the book of Acts and just study what it has to say about prayer. It's truly remarkable how prayer-filled the early church was. No wonder they were used so greatly for the extension of the gospel when all the people of God were so very prayerful. But for that to happen, other very important matters must be handled. Other service must be rendered such as we see here, that is for the priority of the church to go forward. And so there's a shift in emphasis in the modern church. 
I'll not dwell on it, but allow me to mention a few observations of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Lloyd-Jones mentions that if we shift the emphasis from the word to something else, that's very, very wrong. And Lloyd-Jones gives these reasons, and I just kind of bullet point them for us. First of all, it would be wrong because the message of the gospel alone deals with our fundamental need, and so its proclamation is essential. Only by preaching the gospel can we be shown the source of our troubles. It is wrong to put man before God. It is wrong to put the body before the soul in ministry. It is wrong and a great tragedy to put time before eternity. Now, of course, all of those has to be unpacked and put within a context, but I think you get the point. Do you see the priority of the church from this text and the pastoral epistles and other places? And are you praying for it, serving for it, striving to keep the church on track by your prayers and your attitude and your service as well? Well, all of that leads us to the second thing that we want to see. Deacons help to maintain the priority of the word in the church. Now, this is a high calling indeed. It really is a high calling. There were men who were equipped to meet this, this need. And so we are told that they chose seven men, and it's often been observed that all of these men had Greek names. Probably, I can't prove this, but probably there were men from both parties, but they were men who who actually could probably speak Greek or at least communicate well with those Grecian widows uh, who had been neglected. And they were chosen with great care, just as we are told in 1 Timothy 3 that deacons are to be chosen with great care even today. It is also interesting to note that the Lord had the church choose men to meet the needs of these women. Now, I find that very provocative. Office in the church is restricted to gifted and called men, according to the Bible. If ever one may have thought, however, men can't do this, they don't understand the needs of women, the women are on the verge of a squabble over this matter, and godly women should take the lead, well, you would think this would be the occasion. But that's man's wisdom, not God's wisdom. In the household of faith, men are to lead in ministry of the word, eldership, and diaconal service. Now, women were involved in serving, of course, and you should be too, ladies, in various ways. And we find that widows who were widows indeed had a very special place of service in the early church. But in this instance, and we find also in the pastoral epistles, those who were ordained to the office of deacon are men. Now, this was an indescribably high office with a great task and with a great end in view. They were called to maintain and extend the unity of the church. They were called to deepen love in the church. They were called to, to be a blessing to the church in its unity and to meet the needs of the body. These men obviously had a passion for facilitating the preached word of God. And so I ask you deacons here, who are here tonight, because hearing the word is one way in which we are stirred up to fulfill our callings as officers in the church. Do you have that passion? Has that passion remained with you? Does it get stronger or has it cooled in some way? Do you see this as your fundamental role, facilitating 
the proclamation of the gospel in this church, in this community, and throughout the world by the work that you do, that very important, indispensable work. Now, note especially that in verse 3, uh, we have one particular qualification that is stressed that I want us to note. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint this day. And so there is a stress upon the endowment of the Holy Spirit. The giftedness and calling comes from the Spirit. The wisdom, of course, comes from the the Holy Spirit, what is called chokmah in the Old Testament. Read the book of Proverbs. You should see that these are men who, they know how to use their tongues. They know how to speak in a way that promotes purity. They know how to to speak in a way that promotes peace. They know how to, to work with people because the Spirit of God is the source of their wisdom. And then we have the qualifications of a godly and wise heart that we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 and following. So I ask the question then, what is a deacon? I think we've seen enough, uh, indeed, if I'm correct, that this is the beginning of the diaconate or at least a stage toward it. I think that we've seen enough to give an answer to the question. Well, a deacon is a man called and gifted for his office by God who has a passion for facilitating the spread of God's Word by removing all obstacles to it. He is a man who is controlled by this kind of thinking. Uh, He will say, I'm on the lookout for anything that I can do that will free the ministers to be pastor teachers and that will enable the elders to shepherd the flock. Uh, In this way, I can use my gifts, I can extend the gospel, be used of the Lord to extend the gospel and promote purity and the peace of the church. So, for example, a deacon might constantly be thinking in this way. If I spoke of an elder, I could give you another list. Or if I spoke of the teaching elder, the minister of the word, I could give you another list. But the deacon might think with these sorts of thoughts. What may I do to eliminate obstacles to preaching and shepherding? Well, I can care for the facilities. I can make sure there's a comfortable temperature. I can open doors, uh, providing a welcoming atmosphere. I can uh, organize a church-wide meal when needed. I can close up after a service. I can make sure that water is in the font when we baptize. I can organize the bread and the cup, uh, hymnals in the chancel for... Uh, the ministers, to be sure that the hymnals are properly distributed to the congregation. I can take offerings. I can be available to help in impromptu ways at every stated service. I can refuse to talk in critical ways about the church, and I can encourage purity and peace by my wise speech, as well as the very important and essential call of administering mercy in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I left that to last because usually if I ask the question, what is a deacon, we say he's a minister of mercy. Well, he is, and it's essential. But there is so much more involved. It was not simply a mercy need that is happening here in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. It was a mercy need that also related to the unity of the church and the peace of the church and the spread of the gospel. 
And so the, the diaconate was this, this essential role that was needed to be sure that the church could function properly to fulfill her main calling. It's remarkable. It is a very high calling to which Jim is called and will be ordained, and you other deacons are called and have been ordained uh, in, in this church. So the immediate need in Acts 6 is a mercy need, but for this need to be met meant that wise, spirit-filled, godly deacons would be used to heal the fracture between these women and to promote the unity of the body. What a great privilege, what a great duty, what a great calling, what a great responsibility belongs to our deacons. And you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone preach on this text in this way, to say this is what a deacon is, but it's so clear on the surface of things and in other portions of Scripture as well, it seems to me, that we need to keep this on the forefront. These men, we all would say they have a high calling, but do you see how high that the Word can't go forward if these things that deacons do do not take place, that there can be all kinds of disunity and fracture within the church if the deacons are not involved in these sorts of things. Well, let's note thirdly, the result of maintaining the priority of God's Word. Well, you look at verse 7, and the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Even the priests, even many priests believed uh, who heard the gospel as the Word of God increased. Now, I think it's very interesting, don't you, that it doesn't say the church increased. The church did increase, and it tells us that the church increased, but that's not the way it's put. It says the Word of God increased. Don't you find that to be a wonderful way of, of, of provoking you to think about the essential issue that is here? The Word increased. Yes, the church grew, but the stress is on that it grew because the Word actually grew. The opportunity for the apostles to stress prayer and the Word, this ministry grew. Uh, the verbs are imperfect indicatives, that is to say the Word of God continually grew and continually increased. And then there's the word uh, sfradra that is used here. It increased very greatly. And it's very possible that behind that, uh, that word and, and these expressions is the parable of the soils, the seed that increased a hundredfold. Why? Because God used these deacons so that the word of God could increase. A church may grow in numbers, but not grow in this fashion. True growth is when the word increases. So a church may have large numbers, as was true here. There may be 7,000 members in some congregation, but with little word and little, if any, salvation. But a church may have 20 members, but the word is increasing, and then the growth will be appropriate growth. So surely we want to see as many as we can come to know Jesus Christ. It's a burden of my heart but it must be in God's way or the danger is that we will fill our churches, I mean our membership roles, with unconverted people. So you see, the deacons are essential to that as well. 
So in part because the deacons enable the word to spread by freeing the ministers to preach and pray and by promoting the unity of the church, the Bible says the word of God increased. And this is the primary task of the deacons and this is an exalted and noble task. This is service, this is diakonia. What service, what a great service to Christ's church the deacon provides. So the deacons did not say, let's meet all the needs of the poor in Jerusalem. I'm not saying they had a closed heart to others around them, but that's, that wasn't their primary call. They didn't say, let's show Jerusalem that we're real by our general philanthropy throughout the city. The deacon's call was to supply the answer to the question, how can we take the weight off the other officers of, of the church and keep peace in the church so that the church, the word of God can spread? And how can we meet the needs of church members, widows in this case, uh, whom we love and for whom we deeply care? So let me bring you, uh, fourthly, some final thoughts. First, the call of the deacon, I hope that you've seen it tonight. The call of the deacon is a glorious calling. It is to remove obstacles to the spread of the gospel all that would hinder the preaching and prayer and shepherding, and we need our deacons. And so let us esteem these brothers. Deacons, remember your high calling, and even in those times in which people do not encourage, uh, just know that your calling is the highest of callings. And then secondly, we must remember that the deacon's office is different from that of elder, and we must not confuse these. But the deacon's office is no less important to the proper function of the church than the elder. There must be no competition or friction between elders and deacons. Elders must utilize the deacons fully in the work to which they've been called, and deacons must long to help their brother officers to fulfill their calling. That, that friction does not exist in this congregation, praise God, quite the contrary, but it does happen in churches. I have seen it happen when there is a confusion of offices. It's sort of like marriage. In marriage, uh, the husband must be what he's called to be, whether the wife is or not, and the wife must be what she's called to be, whether the husband is or not. Uh, mind your own business is the way Dr. Beakey puts it. That's how it happens in marriage. Well, let's each of us in our callings be who God has called us to be and do what we're called to do, even when there may be a failing in another officer or office. But then thirdly, deacons must be spiritually minded men, filled with the Holy Spirit, granted wisdom from above. Uh, they're passionate about facilitating the spread of the Word of God. They spend time themselves in deep personal communion with God, reading the Word of God daily. With the elder, the deacon also loves the Reformed faith, the Reformed theology, which certainly Jim does. He was talking with me a number of months ago about, uh, about uh, uh, Thomas Boston and uh, a very famous controversy in Scotland of great importance. He loves the Reformed faith. But you see, the Bible says that they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, 1 Timothy 3.9. So deacon, you 
want to be able to say to others by your life, follow my example in, um, in humble service uh, to the people of God around me, follow my example. And then fourthly, whether one is a minister of the word or a ruling elder or a deacon, or if you hold the general office of believer as all believers do and you serve in other ways, it is a privilege for all of us to serve those for whom Christ died. And then finally, lost man or woman or child who may be in this service tonight. You might not expect that I would address you on a Sunday evening as we are about to ordain a deacon. But what are deacons? Deacons are servants. They lead in being servants. What did Jesus do when he became a man? He served his heavenly father and served the lost. He served the lost by dying on a cross for our salvation. So look to that suffering servant, look to that great sacrifice, look to Jesus by faith and be saved. And may it be true that when you see our deacons uh, leading in service and ministering in various ways, that you will say, I see something of the, of the, the one who died upon a cross and bore my sins and my iniquities. May their example call you to faith in Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless this brief preaching of the Word of God. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.